Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H-E-L-P. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am, but Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Glory, glory, Tottenham Hotspur. Glory, glory, Tottenham Hotspur. Glory, glory, Tottenham Hotspur. And the Spurs go marching on. Welcome to episode six of Hometown Glory, your Spurs and culture podcast. I'm Charlie, and it's really, really good to be back with our full Hometown Glory team. We've got Billy, Rosa, Tom, and live and direct from Los Angeles, Ash. Ash, welcome back. How is it over there, man? It's horrible. You don't want to come here. It's a heat wave. Um, yeah, just stay away. I'll, I'll just I'll pick it up for all of us. You're good. <laughs> Thanks, mate. We appreciate that. Um, are we talking like loads of smoothies and extravagant salads and, you know, very Asa- overpriced? Asahi bowls. Um, oh. Yeah. Uh, Instagram people everywhere. Yeah. Full LA vibes. Oh, I'm so jealous. Um, right. So it's been the international break um, and I've missed Spurs and I've missed you guys, but I've also appreciated a little bit of time apart from Tottenham Hotspur, to be honest. I feel like that sort of Conte whirlwind was pretty intense, um, but I'm excited to now feel the breeze again. <laughs> um, that man does funny things to me. I swear I don't know what I'm talking about already. Um, right. To kick us off, I want one thing from the international break that intrigued, excited or annoyed you, please. Um, Rosa, I'm going to turn to you first. The international break. Give me your thoughts. All right. There's only one place to start for me, really, which is uh, Gentle Ben Davies and his first goal for Wales. <laughs> that's it what a thrill what a thrill for that young man <laughs> it was that's his 68th really. cap I believe yeah. so it took Ben 68 games um but he got there and what was it an important goal or was it I think it was part it was like the fourth goal in a 5-1 win or something wasn't it yeah I, I mean I don't think so to be honest um and I'm just amazed he's played 68 games for Wales that seems that's like more than he played for Tottenham surely <laughs> <laughs> and then hasn't like hasn't Chris Gunter played about three and a half thousand games for Wales? So 
Oh my if god, anything, I forgot he existed. Yeah. Yeah. Ben Ben should be a centurion by now, if you ask me. Um it's true. All right. It's true. General he will ben be. Getting, General Ben getting on the score sheet. Um I mean, I can only imagine how thrilled that must have made your household, Rosa. So that's that's a lovely thing to yeah. start with. Um good time, Billy, big fans. That's enough of General Ben now, Rosa. You've had your 30 seconds. Billy, um, over to you. Yeah, and I don't know, like the overarching theme of all of this is I don't know how much we can attribute to the ketchup ban and the mayonnaise ban, um, but I'm on a similar tip going to go for Matt Doherty having a, two <laughs> really good games, one against Portugal and Ronaldo. Um, he had two really good games for Ireland. Um, and I kind of see, I've kind of had this feeling over the last few days that I think uh, when another Pochettino era, like he was obviously known for his player improvement. And like his masterpiece, his like Picasso was Sissoko. Like when he was absolutely shocking when he first joined us. And like Poch kind of turned him into like a competent midfielder. I got this weird feeling now just from this like string of games and like who can he work on that's like been terrible for us but would be that kind of Picasso. And I think it's going to be Matt Doherty. Um, he's a wing back as well. And like Ireland fans seem to speak quite positively about him. Like I think he's generally pretty good for them. And obviously the Wolves fans... Um, you know, really liked him as well. So I have this weird feeling that Conte is going to turn Matt, Matt Doherty into a decent fullback. Um, but as I was saying, I don't really know how much you can attribute all of this to the ketchup ban. Um, just to be safe, I've gone for a full ketchup ban on my house. Um, I was kind of, obviously I'm a school teacher. I was kind of thinking about going around at lunchtime, sort of going up to the kids and saying, are you sure you want that ketchup with those chips? You know, you've got PE in the afternoon. You want to be in your best for dodgeball, you know. Um, I kind of, yeah, it's kind of, I know that we're all going to talk about how, a lot of the Spurs players seem to be playing well under the international break. And I think we can only really put that down to the fact that ketchup has been banned. And also, on that note, the last time we banned ketchup, we won a trophy. So that was the last time we won a trophy as well. So maybe it's all a sign from the universe. I feel like Ash was maybe the most sort of just angry about the idea that like our players were just finishing training and then coming back into these like extraordinarily luxe uh, surroundings at Spurs Lodge and just like, having sort of club sandwiches with like ketchup on the side and like just dunking them in like these massive sandwiches into mayo or however it's been painted. Um, Ash, you were disgusted, right? Well, that and the fact that like Levy's there watching over them at close quarters. <laughs> Look, my, my, bit, my biggest annoyance about the whole um, Amazon documentary is that like Levy's having his like Cheerios next to like Danny Rose. I'm like, how... How can they have any respect for him when he's there eating a bacon roll every morning? It's just such a weird vibe. Um, so yeah, I, I'm ho- I'm hoping that um, the new regime and new diet will just sort everyone out. It feels better already. It does, doesn't it? It feels better already. Um, speaking of things that are better already, Tom, um, I feel like your one uh, might be another sort of pet project player of yours finally coming good. Talk to us about your one. Well, there's a theme here, isn't there, where we're all talking about players who aren't exactly the stars of uh, Tottenham at the moment, Uh, played really well in the international break and could come back and be terrible again. But yeah, Bergwijn got a goal for Holland uh, and an assist, I believe. And honestly, uh, to lead on from Rosa, if you'd asked me at the start of the international break to put my life savings on either Ben Davis or Bergwijn scoring a goal, I think I'd have gone with Ben. I just watched the goal just before we came on the podcast. And yeah, it was nicely taken, but it was the kind of goal Bergwijn, Bergwijn should have been should have had 20 of in the in the last season. Particularly, again, and this is 
I bring this up every time, but he played against Marine in the <laughs> FA Cup last January and he still didn't score. So he's had opportunities. Uh, so, yeah, I don't know. Fingers crossed he comes back and sets the world alight. Maybe yeah, like he needs confidence, clearly, and uh, maybe Conte will give him that and he'll uh, do amazingly on Sunday against Leeds. Um, You're never going to gonna... get over that, are you, Tom? I feel like I feel like Bergwijn for like thirty goals this season, and you'd still be like, but Marine. <laughs> it's no, largely I... because Tom spent like forty-five quid on a commemorative scarf, um, which I, I'm assuming Tom's like pride of place somewhere in your living room. Just you want me? To, you want me to get into the scarf now? I mean, like the dark. Remember how dark that winter lockdown was in uh, <laughs> January, February, end of December. And I, I was drunk. We, all we had to do was get drunk at home. I was drunk, open Twitter. Someone was selling marine scarves to raise money for marine, and I bought the scarf. But the best thing is it arrived after the game had taken place, about two weeks after. So I, couldn't, I didn't even wear it during the game. And I genuinely don't know if my name's on that like stadium on the wall that they've built at Marine because I don't know if it was a fish yeah. or if it was just... We paid for that as well, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah same. I don't know if it was just a chancer selling these scarves or if it was actually <laughs> official and I really contributed to the rebuild of the club. But uh, yeah, I need to think of something to do with that scarf. I'll, uh, I'll post a picture at some point. Please, yeah, maybe, please. Maybe, our, uh, maybe our first line of, mar- of merch should be Bergwijn actually scored in the international break scarves because I feel like we're not going to get many opportunities to make a Stephen Bergwijn scored scarf. So maybe this is it. Maybe this could be, if there's any scarf manufacturers listening, you know, shout us, shout us. That, um, that wasn't a planned shameless pitch for merch uh, suppliers to come forward, but we are very interested. Um, I'm going to pick out um, a more celebrated Tottenham Hotspur footballer who um, had quite an eventful international break, um, slightly sort of weird begging to play San Marino. Um, that sort of was a bit odd, but Harry Kane sort of stat padding, flat track bullying, gold glut against Albania and San Marino. I'm, I'm hoping it's good news for Spurs. I mean, surely now he's got to turn up against Leeds. I feel like if, if he doesn't, something's seriously wrong. So that's mine. Um, like I said, bit weird to see all those reports about him begging Southgate to play against San Marino, um, but he just wants that record, doesn't he, Billy? I think my favourite thing about it, because um, I'm not particularly his biggest fan, was Gary Lineker, like salty tweets afterwards where he's talking about like the teams that Harry Kane had scored against. And then someone replied that Gary Lineker scored 45% of his England goals in friendlies. Like, so, <laughs> and, he, and Kane's outscored him in competitive games. So, yeah, it's good to see that. Like He was kind of like, um, he, he congratulated Kane, but you can tell deep down he was really, really bitter. And I think Michael Owen said the same as well, like the game's gone because Kane scored against San Marino. But Kane has also outscored all of them in competitive games, so shut up. I so we're back like... defending Harry Kane, just to be clear, everybody. Are we back doing that now? I know, it's like muscle memory, isn't it? It's like muscle memory, Yeah, I found myself like sort of, you know, that weird Twitter bristle that you do when you see someone having a shot at a player like or something. And I, I felt myself for the first time since the sort of Kane saga in the summer, getting ready to kind of like draft some pithy response to some yeah. more and, and to, then stop myself. Yeah, only my, we're allowed to abuse him. Yeah, That's exactly it. that. Exactly. My favourite tweet from a Spurs fan were around those internationals was, 
um, the perfect hat trick is the three years left on Harry Kane's contract. <laughs> and I, I happen to agree with that one for sure. Right. We are left with just one more. Ash, what's your takeaway from the international break? Sorry to moan again, but just that I hate the whole thing. Um, <laughs> I, I, I don't watch any international football and even, and I, I never, I don't support England either. So like this summer was just like the, just the worst, most awful thing for me. Just having to like be in the pub constantly surrounded by like overexcited people and England just having an easy route to um, a final. Um, so I just, I just watch the like news reports come in and just like look out for like the Spurs players, hope, hope they do well and hope they avoid injury. So I was all good with this international break until like the last minute when I saw Romero had picked up an injury and like now I see he's out for three weeks. So now I just hate Argentina as a nation until he's recovered. Um, so yeah, that's my, that's my takeaway from the international break. It's, it's, it's pretty devastating news, the Romero thing. I know it sounded like it could have been a lot worse. And I, I mean, as we're recording, it's not being confirmed exactly how long he's out, but it sounds like three weeks um, is the consensus. Um, we actually asked you on Twitter um, uh, who should replace Romero in the, in the starting lineup whilst he's, whilst, whilst he's out. Um, nearly 1,500 of you took part in our very democratic process to decide the best replacement for the world's best centre-back. Um, so assuming Eric Dyer stays as the central centre-back, Ben Davis is the left-sided one. Um, so to play as the right-sided centre-back, you voted um, Emerson Royale uh, with 2.9% of the vote, assuming we want him to stay at right wing back, apart from Billy, who wants uh, Matt Doty there now. Um, Davinson Sanchez got 29.2% of the vote. Uh, Jaffet Tanganga got 30.5% of the vote. And out in front, Joe Roden with 37.4% of the vote. Um, so really close, but Roden there um, getting it. How would we all have voted if you didn't vote? And hopefully you did to boost our engagement numbers. Um, Rosa, who would you have voted for? Um, I did vote and I voted for Tanganga. I, I, I don't understand the Rodon thing at all. It's absolutely crazy to me. And it seems to be largely based on the fact that we don't see him play very much. So we don't have anything to like hold against him. Um, but managers that we've had don't seem to like him. So are we, I don't know, they're... There just isn't. There doesn't seem to be very much there for me. Um, I, I really, really want Sanchez to come good, but I also can't watch another ball like float over his head while he watches it and is like, oh, maybe I should do something about that. So I've gone for my guy Jaffet Tanganga. Just I want to see him out there again. So I, I don't think it will be him. I think it probably will be Sanchez, but I would like it to be Tanganga. It's those eyes, isn't it? You love those eyes. That's it. Such a sweet face. Lovely guy. Um, did anyone else vote for Jaffet? I did, by the way. I feel like his ability to play right back and centre back should make him on paper a good sort of idea uh, on the right side of the three. Um, Billy, who did you vote for? Yeah, I also voted for Tanganga. Um, I think... I think Roden's a weird one because he's kind of not been fancied by any of the four managers that he's had yet. I know it's too early to say that for Conte. Um, but again, he had a decent couple of games for Wales as well. And Wales fans absolutely rave about him. Um, I just think in general, I just feel like relaxed about the whole thing because now we have a competent manager. I don't think it really matters who's going to play there. I just feel 
a lot more relaxed than I would if it was this time a couple of weeks ago. I think it's just comforting to know that whoever it is is not going to be sort of spooning sandwiches and playing cricket during a week of a big game and stuff like that and the kind of weird practices that have been going on for the last two years. So um, now that Conte's there, I don't really mind who it is. I'm, I feel relaxed about the whole thing. And it is a real shame that Romero is not going to be there to sort of stake his place in the beginning of the Conte era. But if you could make him miss some of the games, you know, we've got like uh, Leeds, Brentford, Norwich and Burnley that he might miss maybe. Um, so it's, it's kind of a good time for him to be injured um, if there is such a thing. I'd um I'd almost forgotten about that weird Mourinho period of time where all they seemed to do training wise was like cricket indoors and basketball outdoors, which sort of should be the other way around if anything as well. Thinking about it, but just bizarre. Like this is supposed to be football's ultimate taskmaster, and it was just like Joe Hart getting to be a PE teacher, sort of playing cricket. Very odd. Um, Ash, who who did you vote for? I voted for Sanchez, and now I'm hearing your arguments. I feel like I've made the wrong choice. Um, but I just keep giving Sanchez chances against my like own better judgment because he always seems to let me down. But I loved Sanchez when he first came in. I think like maybe Toby or Jan got injured at Palace or somewhere, and he like just stepped up massively and was really good. Um, I know Rodon won, but I, I think that's just so weird. Because Rodon's older than Romero and he's like not even close. Like I've got this idea of Rodon as being like this kid, but Romero is younger than him and is like so much better. Yeah. So my thing is like we bought Rodon as sort of like a punt from the championship and he's that's sort of just like what he is and we should just probably accept him as that. But I I don't get it with Rodon at all, personally. Um, Tom, do you get it with Rodon? No, I totally agree with Ash. And also, as Billy said, he's played under four managers now and no one's kind of um, gone with him, really, or stuck with him. He's had a few games. Um, I voted Sanchez, but it was tough between Tanganga and Sanchez. I think my uh, heart was saying Tanganga, who I really want to be a key part of our team. He seems like such a lovely guy. Uh, and he's a sort of hometown boy. Um, but Sanchez, I think there's a great player in there somewhere. And he has had some excellent games for Spurs, but he's also had a lot of clangers as well. So maybe he can come good, fingers crossed. I'm really intrigued to see who, who does start there. Um, I feel like it's probably going to be Dav, I reckon. Let's move on then to the weekend, uh, to Leeds. Um, so Leeds are 15th in the Premier League going into this round of fixtures after the international break. They've won two games all season, one away game, which was at Norwich. Um, Watford's the only other team they've beaten. Um, Injury-wise, Bamford is still a doubt. Luke Ayling might come back after a month out. Junior Firpo, I've said that wrong, I'm sure. Their left-back, Summer signing from Barcelona, might also return after a month. Phillips and Rafinha should play too. Um, I feel like Spurs will definitely win this game. I think... I'm weirdly confident. It might just be down to how excited I am about the game. I think we've all been talking in the week about just, you know, it, it's really, really exciting to go to the stadium under Conte now. And I think the fact that it's a 4.30 kickoff, it'll be dark. It's basically an evening game. That'll hopefully help the atmosphere. How, um, how are we all feeling, Tom? How are you feeling about the game? I'm Like you said, I'm just ex- mostly excited for the vibe, I think, after... United, it's going to be good to get back to the stadium. Hopefully, 
full stadium with a new manager playing a team who have a decent support, but as you were just saying, haven't exactly been amazing this season. And given our issues with defence, I think we're fairly lucky that they're not exactly free scoring and they look a kind of shadow of what they what they were last season. Yeah, I'm excited for Conte's like first home league game and 4.30 kickoff in the dark, under the lights, should be fun as well. I think we've just got a... I'm, I'm kind of confident. I, I'm, I guess if I'm going to predict anything, 2-0 uh, to us is what I'm saying. But I think we kind of need to score first and shut their fans up a bit because I'm sure they will be extremely noisy after their... They kind of lost a season back, their first season back last season because of COVID. Uh, so I'm sure the fans are going to be great, but I'd hope their poor form continues. Tom's going 2-0. Ash, how are you feeling about it? Really good. Um, I'm not going to be back in London, which I'm really annoyed about because it's the first game I've, been, I've looked forward to for so long. And I missed the Vitesse game as well. So um, I'm just really excited we've got a good manager and I'm just like ready to like, actually be excited and to like fall back in love with the team again um and we should win like yeah I'm kind of going with Tom I think we'll like win by a couple maybe like 2-0 3-1 something like that but just feel good again about watching Spurs I am um, I keep catching myself I think maybe because it was the international break I sort of keep remembering that Conte's our manager and getting this sort of Slightly schoolboy kind of giddy sensation, which I'm not embarrassed about. I'm just still so bowled over by the fact that Antonio Conte is uh, is manager of uh, Europa Conference, Tottenham Hotspur. Um, Charlie, Charlie, tell us what I know. You've looked at a lot of photos of Conte, but have you got a specific favourite of all the ones you've found so far? I mean, I might have gone on to get the images and just searched for the training photos and just sort of scrolled through about nine pages. I really liked the ones where he's, um, and I think Spurs posted a couple of them where they're clearly doing some sort of drill. Um, I'd like to think it's a wing back drill because he's sort of like running quite furiously, arms in the air, looking really cross. And I just, I just like the idea of him like yelling at our players. I just really want to know that they're getting yelled at and like going home sort of like with ringing in their ears, but, a hunger that they've not had and they just feel like they've got to get their sorry asses back into gear. So I've got a few, Tom. They're mainly training based. I like to see them sort of in action, um, just screaming at our players. Those are those tend to be my favourites. Um Billy <laughs> Billy, how um that can be a weekly thing. I could bring I could bring one and we'll post it. Ask nobody. Billy, what um what was what's your prediction for Sunday? Yeah, I feel really good about it. I'm, you know, I think it's the most excited I've been for a game for a long, long time. I feel like the Everton game and the conference game um, were kind of like a false dawn for Conte. Like he had absolutely no time. Um, I mean, the conference game might as well have not really counted as a Conte game, but we still managed to win it. So I think the atmosphere is going to be unbelievable on Sunday. Um, and I'd be surprised, you know, if we didn't win. I, I think we everything's in our favour. I think we're going to see quite a big improvement of form in us, hopefully, if everything goes to plan. Um, I think we're going to score a few goals like Kane. I think the international break is going to really, really play into his confidence. I can see him scoring a couple of goals. I think we'll win two or three nil. Um, I'm pretty sure Bamford's injured, which is good for us. Um, and I, I think, you know, they, they got Rafinha, who's a really, really good player. But I think they are not the same team that they were last season, it seems. So I think, you know, this 
fixture last year could have been a bit of banana skin, but they seem to be struggling a bit this year. So, uh, you know, with that and the Conte factor, the atmosphere and our players having a decent international break, I think I struggled to see anything other than us winning quite easily. Famous last yeah. words, of course. The other, um, aside from who's going to replace Romero, assuming that he is injured, um, the other big kind of poser for Conte is in midfield with Skip being suspended. What do we reckon he's going to do there, Ash? What do you reckon he's going to do to replace him? I mean, hopefully more creativity. I always, like, especially at home games, the past sort of two, yeah, like two years, it always sort of, like, made me and, like, my friend Adam just really angry that sort of you have, you'd have, like, Hoiberg and someone else sort of sitting when, like, for me, we should be trying to, like, especially at home, just, like, trying to be on the front foot. So I guess it will probably be like a Le Celso or someone like that who I'm not a fan of, but I think he'll probably like sit in instead. I mean, you know what could happen? Your, your ultimate favourite player might start, Harry Winks. I don't think. Conte's not that stupid. He's, he's a I smart mean, he, man. He's not going <laughs> to... He not did gonna bring him that, on. Is he? he brought him on against the test, didn't he? To sort of calm things down. And um, I, think, I think he did all right that night, you know? I think he did all right. So I didn't see this, but um, because everyone knows I hate Winks, my phone was just blowing up <laughs> like loads of different people <laughs> with texts being like, Winks is playing really well. Um, so listen, like if, if Winks and whoever else, like, you know, the many players that like I've disliked for like a year, if any of them turn up, I'm happy because it's only good for Spurs. So yeah, I don't really care. It's all good. Um, wow. You heard it here first. I mean, I think Tom not caring about Harry Winks is a step forward. So that's good. It's better than the feelings before. Uh, just before we came on on Thursday night to record this, there was a training video dropped that showed them doing the whole squad back from international duty, doing some really high intensity drills, which looked, you know, it was nice to see them being worked. But I bristled when I heard someone going, Winksy, Winksy, Winksy. I think it might have been Mason, but I'm not sure. Uh, yeah, I think it was Ryan Mason who was obviously coaching them. Um, but that sort of annoyed me a bit. I don't know why. I guess he could call him Winksy, but uh, <laughs> just, just, yeah, it's easy to get wound up by him. Also, excitingly, in that same video, Cess is now outside. He's, Cessignon's allowed to be outside. How long have we heard... Uh, about him being injured and he's finally out there training with everyone else. So maybe he'll even make the bench. I don't know. I mean, Matt Dirty had to come on uh, at left wing back last time, didn't he? So, I mean, I think we said on the previous podcast, surely if Sessegnon's going to do something at Spurs, it's under Antonio Conte playing left wing back. And it does seem like from stuff I've read that Conte does, um, he does end up subbing his wing backs fairly regularly in matches just because they get through so much work that by sort of 65 minutes they're they're kind of on their asses. So I guess we'll see people like Cessna maybe coming on a bit more. Ash? I hope so as well because I'm still, I know we spoke about this before, but I'm still not sold like fully on on Reggie. Um, So I'd love to see Cessna step up. Um, And I also just want to like talk very briefly about um, Emerson because he's sort of like fast becoming like my new favorite um, player. He like was great the other day. I thought, um, I know that he started really poorly, but 
like I just I don't know there's just something I really like about him he seems like a genuine like dude and like I just want him to do really well he um he's also become I think the first Spurs player to mention Nuno by name um since Nuno left not in a way that he probably wanted to I think there was a report that came out that's where he was talking about um Nuno it kind of sounded like Nuno refusing to speak to him in Portuguese and the first kind of couple of training sessions or the first period at Spurs being very sort of difficult for him and Lucas Moura having to basically explain to him what was going on, which I think people then jumped on as him complaining or you know having a pop at Nuno. And then he, I think, took to Twitter to say, no, that's not what I was doing. It's actually good for me to, you know, have to listen in English and it's improved my English. Um, but yeah, still the only player that's actually mentioned Nuno on social media whatsoever. Billy, any Emerson thoughts? Yeah, imagine having Lucas Moore have to explain to you what's going on. It must be like, you know, what, what's actually going on with this drill, Lucas? Coys, 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 coys. This must be an absolute nightmare. So you can see why he struggled at the beginning. And Rosa, finally, Leeds prediction from you, please. I think we're going to win. Um, I think we'll probably concede. Uh, I know Billy's really relaxed about the defence. I'm not quite as relaxed Um even though I know Bamford's injured, right? But he's not their top scorer, it's Rafinha. So I would imagine um, we'll concede, but I think we'll have too much of them in the end. It was quite funny. I was talking to um, my older daughter's friend. Uh, her dad is um, a Leeds fan. And I was talking about how excited I was that Conte was going to get the players fitness up. And he was like, speaking as a Leeds fan, like, let me tell you, fitness isn't everything. Because <laughs> I'm like, I'm not really talking, I'm not expecting like Bielsa burnout. I'm just asking for like a base level of fitness. <laughs> so, non, yeah, I think, non-mayonnaise fitness. Exactly, that's it. All, all I ask, all I ask. Um, so, yeah, I think we're going to win. So, I'm so excited. I'm so excited to be there. Can't wait. I'm I'm like beside myself. Bring on Sunday. I really can't wait. Speaking of exciting things, Spurs women um, had a landmark week, really. Um, we got a very well-deserved point against Arsenal, a historic point. I mean, we were agonisingly close to claiming an even more historic victory, but um, a draw is nothing to be sniffed at against this Arsenal team. Um, I didn't see the game as I was celebrating my wife's birthday. How were we, Rosa? How did we play? Yeah, great. Um, it was the first proper, proper North London derby that we've actually shown up to. I think we've, it was something like the previous games, we've lost them. It's like like an aggregate score of like 34 to three or something horrific. <laughs> so one all is amazing. Um, obviously we were leading from quite, from relatively early on. Um, with an excellent goal from Rachel Williams. And I was re-watching the goal um, just before we recorded. And it's just a lovely, lovely touch from Kit Graham to control the ball and then to pass it, even though the actual goal itself is a bit of a sort of bundle over the line. Um, Although that's not to be sniffed at either. Um, Defended pretty well. They had a lot of chances. And um, Corpola, our keeper, was amazing. Kept like made like several incredible saves. But unfortunately, Arsenal do have um, Miedemar, who is like one of the just like top strikers in in um, women's football, really. So unfortunately, it was like it was just really gutting. Like it was like the ninety first minute, I think, wasn't it? So 
that's still the first points at Arsenal have dropped all season and the first time they've been behind. So pretty impressive. I think um, we're going we're gonna to struggle a little bit. We were bounced out of third, which is the last um, Champions League qualification place by Brighton's win over Leicester. Um, I think we would struggle to keep up in those places anyway because we, we're not really scoring very many goals. We've scored like nine all season. So even though the defence is the second best, that's a little bit of a worry. But then, of course, I say that and then they went and scored 11 goals last night. So what do I know? <laughs> But all told, pretty satisfying, pretty exciting. And Billy, you you caught a fair bit of the Arsenal game as well, right? Yeah, I did, and I, I was you know I was kind of blown away when the commentator said this is the first time Arsenal have been behind all season, which I think gives a kind of incredible result, a lot of context, really. Um, and I think you know when we went one 0 up, I think for a lot of the game we were sort of backs against the wall, but when we went one 0 up, we had a good spell where we had them on the ropes, like we missed a couple of chances, we missed a really good chance. Um, and it's kind of comforting to know that it's the same, you know, kind of beats that we have when we're watching, you know, the men's team. That the same kind of you get the same kind of feeling watching the women's team as well. You just know, kind of, it was a really, really, really good performance. But you know, as soon as we miss some chances, you kind of know what's going to happen. Um, and I think it's kind of comforting to know that the women's team and the men's team are connected in that way um, and makes us all Tottenham. Um, but I was super impressed by the performance. I thought when you consider that they haven't been behind all season and they've won every game. Um, yeah, I, d- I think we were we gave an incredible account of ourselves from from what I saw. Um, the fans were incredible as well. Not that you would have known that there were any fans there um, if you were watching on TV. Tom, I know this is fast becoming secondary to West Ham, your kind of point of irritation each week, um, the camera angles at the Hive. What, what, what's going on? Yeah, it's winding me up. I'm sure there is there are some technical reasons, but both the United game and the Arsenal game that were on the BBC and like really, you know, on terrestrial TV, easy to watch. There, It appeared that there were no fans there because the cameras were facing the stand uh, at the Hive where the, um, where the benches are and there were no fans there. And it just brought back horrific flashbacks to last season, the COVID nightmare, the kind of dystopian nightmare of fake crowd noise and uh, empty stands. And yet there were fans there. And I believe, I think the Arsenal game was a record attendance at the Hive. I think that's right to say. And like I said, I'm sure there's some reasons why they couldn't show the fans, but they really didn't. It appeared there was no one there. And actually there were loads of people there. Yeah. And one of the things I did enjoy about the very limited camera angle that we got was the intensity of the game. You could really tell it was a derby. Um, There were a lot of tackles flying in, a lot of kind of arguments between the players. And that's the kind of things we love to see in derbies as fans. So I think the intensity was really good. And I think, you know, I was, it's my first women's North London derby that I've seen. And I was really, really impressed. I loved it. I read a lot of um, quotes afterwards from the Arsenal players talking about how it felt like the first proper North London derby and, you know, it's the first time they felt like they'd been in a real contest. Um, so it's just, it's really encouraging. I think, again, from what I've read, it feels like finding that goal scorer seems to be the, the, the missing thing for us. I know Rachel Williams, I think, got a third of the season against Arsenal, but it feels like one of the, the sort of many strikers we have because it feels like that squad has got a fair few options. And I know uh, Rosella Ayan scored a hat-trick in the 11-0 uh, drubbing against Watford and Angela Anderson got also got a hat-trick. But yeah, finding someone to step up in the league feels like the next thing. Um, 
Also, we need to find a game that we're all going to go to as well. Hopefully, they'll actually put the women's team back at White Hart Lane and we can all go to the proper stadium because uh, the Hive's a bit of a pain to get to. Um, Rosa? Yeah, that's a real bugbear of mine, actually. And I'd just really like to know what the club's position is on that and whether it's that they have a contract with Barnet or whether they are of the minds that it's better for the women's team to be in a smaller stadium. I personally disagree with that. I think, you know, especially being on this pod and part of what we like about Tottenham is is about being in Tottenham. And I really think that the women's team should play there. They should figure out the fixture list and that they should play at home. And it's... You know, maybe there are people in the women's game who will have, you know, a good argument against that. But I feel so strongly that they should play in Tottenham. And it's a real bummer, especially for something like the North London derby, for that not to be at home, basically. Yeah, and I I totally agree with Rosa. I don't know um, if there is a, a sort of reason behind it, but it would have been such a good opportunity with an international break as well. I think if you'd have played that game in the stadium on an international break, North London derby, you know, it would have been, I think the attendance could have been really, really decent. Well, this is why it was women's football weekend. Like Mm. that was the whole thing. It was about um, promoting the the women's game that weekend. So I I don't know what the thinking was behind that. Maybe we will find out. Particularly as, you know, they've played that fixture. um, Was it the last season or the season before? Um, You know, they're, we, we broke the record. So it feels, particularly with it being an international break, particularly since it was Women's Football Weekend, kind of perplexing as to why it wasn't. So uh, we demand answers and we'll we'll get some, sure enough. Um, right, we're going to continue talking about mighty women of Tottenham um, as we move into the culture side of the podcast. Um, Adele has a new album, the patron saint of this podcast, of course. Um 30 is released um well it's released now as you're listening to this um we're all very excited right new new Adele material first time in six years how are we all feeling um Tom you're obviously a well we're all huge Adele fans but I know Tom you're a particularly massive one yeah I'm a pretty massive Adele fan I'm, I'm shook to read all the reviews uh that have been largely positive I'm not I'm not surprised that they're positive obviously but at least a few of the reviews have been headlined her best album yet. And I've just been sat there reading the reviews, reviews thinking, guys, 21. 21 has someone like you set fire to the rain, rolling in the deep. Every song, and is there one bad song on it or one sort of skippable song? Potentially one. But 21 is full of like incredible, incredible songs. So... I'm amazed that 30 is uh, apparently her best album yet, but I'm, we're recording Thursday night. I haven't heard it yet, but I'm excited to hear it. Yeah, I think the biggest plus for me is we've got 12 new episode names because um, I think, you know, I've only a few albums to work on. We, we struggle at times to find an episode name that will fit. So 12 new episode names, that is a great plus for us. Um, if she could just keep churning out maybe two albums a year, we might be sorted for the podcast going forward. So um, hopefully this is a big big positive of an Adele new album is our episode names. Very useful. Thank you, Adele, for finally giving us some new uh, episode titles because, yeah, we're going to be running dry soon. Um, I don't think it's her best album yet, personally. Um, I do think it's really excellent and I think that it's amazing to hear her sound so raw and vulnerable and if this feels like an album that she 
Um, you know, she feels is incredibly important to her sort of narrative and story from everything that I've read and listening to it. Um, the tracks with Inflow, um, another sort of proud North Londoner, are, are excellent. I think there's a track there called Hold On, which will go down as one of her all-time great songs. Um, but I, I tend to agree with Tom. I think that 21 is incredibly tough to top. Um, it's obviously got a huge Tottenham Hotspur uh, input as well with Paul Epworth um, producing. So clearly that's the, the key to all, all great things. Um, but yeah, I, I'm looking forward to everyone. Maybe next week we'll all we'll have sort of come back and we'll all have had a week to engage with the album properly um, before I drone on too much. But yeah, I think it's a it's definitely a triumph. It's definitely brilliant to have her back, but um, it's a tough listen. It feels like very much her, you know, I spent a lot of this time struggling to get out of bed for good reason album. And it's therefore quite a gruelling listen at times. And I'm intrigued to see how people sort of, their relationship with the album grows beyond the initial excitement of having new Adele songs. Another obsession of ours, of course, Succession. Um, we're pretty deep into the season now. It sort of slipped through kind of at a rate of knots. Um, is everyone enjoying the season? I feel like I'm, I am, um, but I've not really stopped to consider whether like it's the best season yet or if I'm like loving it as much as I was the previous two. Billy, how are you finding it? Yeah, well, this is the first season of Succession I've had to watch week by week. So it's the first one where I'm kind of having time to digest all the episodes. Um, I think it's going from strength to strength, to be honest. I think every kind of week I keep saying, oh, that was the best episode so far. Oh, that was the best episode so far. And I do think episode five, the one we just watched, was the best episode so far um, <clears throat> with the shareholders conference. Uh, yeah, I, I think it's a really, really strong season, but it's kind of interesting digesting it week by week rather than sort of, because when I watched the first two seasons, I was so addicted to it that I sort of blitzed them out in a couple of days. Um, so this is the first time I've got time to sort of marinate with it all. Um, yeah, I, I really do think this is a strong season so far. Yeah, I think it's interesting because I watched the first season, like binging it, and then the second, like week by week. And I remember when it came to the finale, like genuinely that there was like a moment like I where I kind of where I just suddenly before Kendall went to his press conference where I was suddenly like oh my god I know what he's gonna do and I was genuinely in that moment more excited I think than I was about the Champions League final <laughs> it was so thrilling and there's nothing so far that's hit that for me yet but obviously we're only halfway through this week's episode was kind of it was such a sort of tonal shift though, don't you think? It had this sort of weird, like hilarious, but quite odd, like thick of it vibe when last week's was pretty intense and emotional and the week before as well, I guess. That's so funny. I was thinking exactly the same thing. That first half of episode five, the most recent episode, I was sort of thinking, well, this is the weakest episode so far. And it felt, it reminded me that Jesse Armstrong wrote on the thick of it and that there's a there is a relationship mm. there between those two shows because the most recent episode episode five felt very claustrophobic it was all in one location and there's been other episodes this series where myself and my wife have sat there going whoa the budget when you see the helicopters the incredible like Kendall's incredible apartment in New York some of the shots of New York especially when none of us 
apart from Ash, sorry, I've been to the States in so long. I was like, I just want to be in New York. So that, yeah, the first half of episode five, I found very frustrating. And then there was obviously that incredible scene that with them all talking about the piss mad king <laughs> as, as Logan <laughs> lost it and them all chipping in and Tom just being brilliant. I think the cast have been absolutely incredible this series and every episode, episode three, which was the kind of, the Rape Me episode, Kendall versus Shiv, those two were just incredible. Um, Tom, Matthew McFadden has just been like so, so good. But what I do think, what to Rose's point, like something kind of needs to happen. It feels like it, we're kind of stuck in a bit of a rut at the moment with Kendall and what's going to happen with the company. Kind of something needs to break and we kind of need to move on from that. I feel like it's going to, um, that's exactly what's going to happen now because I listen to the Prestige TV podcast, which I would really recommend if you're a big Succession fan. Um, they have, you know, really regular interviews with all the cast members, which are really good. Um, and they kind of said something in the latest episode, which kind of hit home with me. I think we're now going to see um, I think we've been building up to the sort of shareholder meeting for the first five episodes and it's always been about like securing Josh and securing the shareholder vote and doing the deal with Sandy. Um, and I feel like they've got some closure on that now. I have a feeling that we're going to go into sort of presidential territory now. Um, and I think the rest of the second half of this season is kind of be more towards what's going to happen in the wake of the president uh, resigning essentially or not not um you know not not going on to the next term so i think it's going to shift quite a lot now into the presidential kind of thing which i think is be a welcome change of gears i think i mean hopefully that means more connor which is always good by me rosa just quickly that but that means no more stewie which is a massive massive bummer for me because <laughs> I've, I've realized when we first talked about succession it was just like do we have anyone to root for and I was like no but I've realized I do my my polo neck king <laughs> Stewie Hussaini <laughs> it, yeah it's like are we, is that it now for him and Sandy are we I mean is what's what how did Sandy get dubbed the world's angriest fucking vegetable um see is that basically them sort of neutered as a threat it's yeah it kind of feels like a bit of a I, I felt a tiny bit not let down but you know that sort of shareholder war as Billy said like it'd been building and building and building and then them reaching a sort of truce felt slightly anticlimactic for me albeit during a terrific episode Ash how are you finding this season I think it's great I thought the episode with Kendall and Logan at the beach for me was the best one it just felt really tense like it was a kind of horror movie and something bad was about to happen but yeah I like it is really like just the best show and I'm way I think we're on the verge of like Tom eventually just exploding and probably committing like murder against Shiv or someone else which I'm like really <laughs> looking forward to um and yeah of course like Greg remains like the king of like the one-liners um I mean, it's really weird. I always sort of rooted for Greg. And even in this episode, the latest one, he turned like super evil and was just like, I'm going to sue Greenpeace, <laughs> which is just one of the maddest things I've ever heard. Um, so yeah, like, it's weird. Like, just they're all just so evil. Um, but I love them at the same time. Um, I, I adored um, the, the follow-up to Greg suing Greenpeace, uh, where Tom says, who do, who do you think you'll go after next? Save the children. Um, I just adore the any any interaction between those two is kind of my favourite part of, of that show. 
it, there were so many simple things that um, Matthew McFadden like delivers. There was a bit in the episode five where Logan was calling called Shiv Marsha and Tom was with them and then marched over to everyone else and just went and sort of, it was just the way he said, Hey everybody in this sort of like really sort of about to implode or explode way that he, he holds it all together. And he also keeps the American accent very well as well, considering he's British, I think. Um, yeah, that that scene where they were all chipping in, getting some cranberry juice, and there was a line that someone said about Frank, all these years he still has to play maitre d' at the bistro of bullshit. That was just brilliant, <laughs> I thought. I um, I I adored the bit with, um, I keep saying adored, but I think that's right for this show. I do adore it. Um, where where Tom takes Logan to the to the bathroom and uh, Logan calls him son and uh, he Tom replies, "Oh, thanks, Pop, Papa." <laughs> so just that little sort of human side to. I think it's so kind of jarring when you do see a human side to any of those characters. They're so monstrous usually that it's it's really affecting when you see it. And I think Tom perhaps you know has that kind of last remaining fragment of humanity from clearly not coming from quite the same sort of money background that occasionally you get you get that shining through a little um but yeah Tom, billy what was is there any other bits from succession you want to talk about yeah i was going to say the same bit actually i just when you listen to interviews back from the cast members you you hear a lot about how quite a bit of it is improvised and they're allowed to sort of improvise and stuff and you could sort of tell that that papa was improvised and it was just absolute genius um, and the, the preceding line to that was, I think, was, do you need me to hold the scepter? Which is absolutely brilliant as well. I think that was my favourite scene in the episode. Um, by a, a distance, Tom is my MVP of the series so far, I think. And as Ash said just now, it's sort of building into a huge crescendo and I think he's going to absolutely flip and something's going to go wrong. Um, uh, it's sort of like the performance from Matthew McFadden is incredible. Like I just you can kind of see all this sort of tension building up in him week by week, and it's just going to snap one day. Yeah. And the scenes where he was sort of he was sort of begging Shiv to give him a baby was was heartbreaking, really. And the fact that she was sort of barely even touch him, like she wouldn't even hug him. Um, I think in episode four there was a scene where they went to hold, she went to hold his hand, and then someone walked past, so she moved away. And like it's just all building up, and I think we're going to really see something kick off with Tom. Episode four, there was that scene where he was looking through the prison brochures and talking about how to make prison wine in the toilet uh where he was just yeah losing it with shiv and then yeah shiv in that scene you just mentioned billy with shiv turning to him and saying are you tracking my cycle <laughs> it, was, it was just so good i feel like maybe i might know the answer for a few of you with this but as billy mentioned season mvp so far who, who are we giving it to ash is yours it's always greg it, it has to be Greg always. He just has the best lines and yeah, he's just a ridiculous human being. Um, so I'm going to go Greg again. Um, Rosa, who's yours? Oh, I mean, it, acting wise, yes, it probably is um, Matthew McFadden. Um, I'd like to give two shout outs. One to my girl, Jess, with her incredible despair at the dying bunny incident. And also, um, Carolina, I like to consider myself a founding member of what I'd like to call the Carolina Cabal, just for nothing else, but her hair is fucking incredible. 
<laughs> and the to, spin-off um, I would the spin-off I'd like to see is Dewey and Carolina. So make that happen for me, HBO. They like a spin-off. That could happen. Um Tom, who's yours? Are you going are you going, Tom? Yeah, Tom. Tom has just been incredible, but a special shout out to Sarah Snook as well, who plays Shiv, who is so good. And essentially, I think every man I know is in love with her. Yeah, I think this podcast is fairly united on that front. Um, Billy, who's yours? Yeah, I would definitely second the love with Shiv. Um, when she spat on Kendall's diary, I've never wanted to be a diary more. Um, but <laughs> I, think I, I also want to shout out Frank, who I thought was brilliant in the last episode. But yeah, my MVP is definitely Tom. Uh, mine, I think, is the can of Coke that Greg um, that Greg drank in that scene from episode four, which I just think was incredible. I would love to know how much um, Nicholas Braun ad-libbed that and how much was, was in the Strong script. for a man. <laughs> Strong <laughs> for a man. <laughs> the bit at the end of that scene where he sort of says to no one in particular, ah, the 60s, better times? Not for all. <laughs> I just like there are so there are so many bits in succession where my wife and I have to either just pause to kind of gather ourselves or rewind to watch again just to sort of take in some of the lines and that was that was definitely one of them. Um I thoroughly enjoyed that extended uh, succession chat. Thank you very much guys. Um and we should we should lead into um the final part of our podcast this week as ever your culture picks. Um Billy, what's your culture pick this week? Okay, I'm going to switch up a little bit here um, and I'm going to go for something which I know might not be popular among many people, but some people might love it, some people will hate it. Uh, I'm going to have to talk about Marvel. I'm going to have to talk about the Spider-Man Far From Home trailer. Um, and as I say that, I can kind of feel half the people turning off this podcast and half the people saying grow up. Um, but this trailer has been a huge, it sent huge mega waves going through the internet. Um, I kind of feel Marvel's in a weird place right now because in the sort of wake of Endgame, they're kind of waiting for that huge Marvel moment. And um, we've had some really niche um, of the, the lesser characters that like we've had Shang-Chi, we've had Black Widow films, we've had the three Disney Plus shows, which, and I liked all of the stuff that they've done in Phase 4, but we haven't really had anything that's anywhere near as impactful as Endgame. And I think this is the first time that we're going to see something. So Spider-Man Far From Home. So my culture pick is Spider-Man Far From Home. And I've actually spent... Um, a concerning part of my week this week watching like trailer breakdowns and talking about how like they've CGI'd certain characters because when I was growing up my favourite film ever was Spider-Man 1 and Spider-Man 2 and the fact that they're obviously going to be back in this and Doc Ock is in it and they're returning all those characters from that um, series of Sam Raimi films just makes me so so happy so I'm going to say this trailer for Spider-Man Far From Home and it's good uh, sorry, Spider-Man No Way Home. And it's good to see Marvel returning with that huge, big Marvel event, which they've been waiting for, I think, since the wake of Endgame. Um, I can't believe you haven't mentioned the Tottenham Hotspur connection as well. Ah, yeah, I can't believe that either. I did mean to mention that. So uh, part of the reason why I did mention this is because it's been revealed this week that uh, Tom Holland is a Tottenham fan, um, which I kind of feel has gone under the radar, kind of... Not sure how, because he did sort of Instagram from the Man United game, which sort of no one really seemed to have noticed. Um, he had a box for the Man United game, and he was sort of there for, for Nuno's last game. So, yeah, it's, I saw there's a GQ interview where he reveals himself as a Tottenham fan. So all the more reason to root for Spider-Man. Rosa, the kind of knock-on effect of Tom being a Spurs fan, I know is there's something you're quite excited about, right, in terms of his significant other. Hell yeah. Like, imagine if now, like... 
I think Billy said it best. It's like, it's really exciting to know that Zendaya may now have heard of Tottenham Hotspur. <laughs> and what if, <laughs> what if he gets her into, into football? And she's like, that's my team. Imagine, imagine her at White Hart Lane. And, you know, you never know, maybe on this very pod one day. So that's pretty exciting for me. Uh, one other thing to say about Spider-Man Far From Home is that Spider-Man No Way Home is that it also has Stewie from Succession. This so, is a good week for you, Rosa. It's, this it's, is a very it's good all, week. It's all going really, really, really well. Yes, yeah, so I'm with Billy. Up, Rosa. I'm super excited um, about that. Staying with you, Rosa, what's your pick? Yep, I'm going to... Um, I've actually got two picks this week. Um, after, hang on, hang yeah, on. Yeah, yeah. If you can't, if you can't beat him, join him. <laughs> so it's two things that have made me super emotional this week. Uh, one is a book called Luster by Raven Lalani. Um, I don't know if anyone else here has read it. I wanted to read it for ages and just kind of hadn't got around to it. Babies, all that stuff. And I finally read it this week. I read it quite quickly, but it's by no means an easy read. The premise kind of sounds quite ghastly when you say it out loud, which is this young black woman gets involved with an older white man and his wife and their adopted daughter but actually it's it's so much more than that it's it's very funny to begin with and then sort of about a quarter of the way through it takes this kind of sharp heel turn and sort of just after that just the rest of it really really made my heart hurt it's a lot about um individual and generational um pain and trauma but also about creativity and being an artist and how you see other people and how you create things to allow yourself to be seen. It's a really, really, really wonderful novel. I would just highly recommend it. She's very young, which is disgusting, but that means I'm very excited to see what she does next. And the other things that I finally got around to properly listening to Cleo Soul's album Mother this week, which obviously just gave me a lot of feelings. I didn't realize that she'd recorded it basically like with her baby in her arms most of the time, it sounded like, which is just pretty special, really. I like to think of her and um, and her team kind of going through all that and recording it. Like what an amazing time to be creative, really, after I can't imagine it was easy for her having a baby sort of in the middle of a pandemic and she's made something just gorgeous out of it, really. So strong strong recommends there for me um ash you turned me onto that album and i'm forever grateful because as rosa says it's gorgeous it's absolutely stunning um can i have your pick please ash anything stateside to recommend i do have one american thing um which is really weird because it's not the kind of thing i normally do but it's a uh, this thing called dreamscape which is a random it's it's a vr experience um in like an american mall uh and my friend put me on it ages ago and i ended up bumping into him and we went the other day at the weekend and we went to the men in black one and you basically become like a men in black agent and um fly through london and uh save these weird aliens um so that's that's definitely one over here. And then the other one I think you may have mentioned in the past, but I just wanted to shout out again is Kanye West, Andre 3000's Life of the Party track came out on streaming services. It was leaked before as part of the sort of Kanye Drake beef. Um, but now you can listen to it on Apple Music, Spotify, whatever you use to stream records. And yeah, it's just really emotional. 
and there's a bit at the end which I've added in, which is DMX sort of talking to his daughter, and it is heartbreaking. So definitely like go and listen to that. It's probably maybe one of the best songs of the year. It's just really, really special. So I really recommend that. I think that's my song of the year. I think um, Andre's verse alone. Not so hot on Kanye's verse. I kind of preferred the leaked version, even though it was really petty and spiteful. I thought some yeah. of the lyrics I thought it was a bit stronger. But um, I just think if you've not heard Andre's verse on Life of the Party yet, just give yourself a treat. Be prepared to probably cry quite hard as it's essentially a sort of open letter to his to his mother who passed away. But it's just extraordinary. Yeah, and going back to that... Kanye Drake beef that I don't know if anyone saw but they posted a picture together it's like the weirdest beef ever I don't really know what's going on at the moment it's kind of really difficult to keep up with it all but they posted a picture together but they're both really angry in the picture like honestly I, I have no idea what's going on there but it's interesting that that picture kind of came out at the same time as that song um, honestly um, have no idea what's going on there but yeah that picture I recommend looking at it just because they kind of posted it I think as like an olive branch to each other but they're also really angry in the picture so <laughs> no idea what's going on there. I think the other guy in the picture is like a known sort of um, famous gangster who's sort of behind Drake. And I think they've kind of been forced into taking that picture and like being made to be friends, which is like really funny. I agree. It's like the weirdest beef. I, I sort of feel like I need to like read a timeline of what's happened there. But um, maybe that's one for next, the next podcast. We can do some homework. Um, Tom, your recommendation. On the Kanye and Drake beef, it's also weird to be someone who has been a fairly massive Kanye fan for a long, long time, it's kind of weird to now be more on Drake's side than Kanye's because uh, I think I'd rather now hang out with Drake. Well, I definitely would, given Kanye's recent interviews. Anyway, my culture recommendations. Firstly, obviously, if you haven't seen Rose and Geo from the latest Strictly, uh, go and watch that immediately. What a beautiful dance. And I really hope Rose wins. Uh, but away from Strictly, something to make me sound somewhat cooler. There are two excellent new tracks from uh, Cass is Dead, who is a North London rapper who is sort of fairly mysterious. He is masked and he's often, I mean, he's been around for a while, but there's often been sort of, uh, rumours or confusion about who he is. And I think in his early days, there was talk about uh, that he might be the alter ego of someone. And weirdly, just as I came on, uh, I thought I better just check that I know what I'm talking about with Cass is Dead. Uh, and I realised he's from Tottenham. Ash, do you know Do you know more? Because you're the king of the Tottenham music scene. <laughs> I'm definitely not the king of the Tottenham music scene. <laughs> but I, I, I just put my hand up to say he was from Tottenham and that's all I know, but you beat me to it. Um, yeah, but yeah, so, that's the that's the rumor. Well, we need to investigate if he's a if he's a Spurs fan. But um, yeah, he's got two excellent tracks which are called uh, the new one that just came out is called "Boys Will Be Boys," and the one that's been out a couple of months, which features Larue, who had also sort of disappeared for ages, is called "Park Assist." They're both out on Excel, and they've got like really mad videos. But basically, he's just very different to like every other UK rapper he's got a really unique flow his lyrics are quite strange in the way the same way that another masked UK rapper MF Doom's lyrics are quite surreal and the beats are very funky but um yeah I just recommend streaming those two tracks because they're they're really really excellent 
I don't think he is a Tottenham fan from what I remember, but he does have a line in one of his songs, which is a drug reference where he says, clearing lines like Jan Vertonghen. So that is a great line for all, um, especially for Charlie, I'm sure. For the Jan Vertonghen, but not the drugs, might I add. <laughs> <laughs> that, I mean, surely that would indicate a level of Spurs interest, at least, if he's like referencing Jan things. That's, right. an, that's an excellent line. I didn't realise that. And there's also an old, he, maybe his best ever song is called um, Pat Earrings, which is a reference to uh, Pat Butcher from EastEnders, who features on the artwork to that song. That that track from 2018 is is just incredible. But we need to figure out if he's definitely a Tottenham fan because, uh, yeah, we can get him on. I remember you sending me that track, Tom. And um I just remember looking at the artwork and always thinking I would love that artwork, like in my downstairs new or something. It's it's incredible. Um, search for it online. Speaking of Tom recommendations, I quickly just want to shout out Statlet's Flats again. I know I feel like we could shout it every week, but my wife and I watched the, the first couple of the first series when it first came out and then for some inexplicable reason gave up on it. Tom's sort of persistent recommendations got us back. And I don't know if I can remember a comedy that I swear to God, it improves with every single episode. Like you just get funnier lines, you become more involved with the characters, you start getting more, you know, rich emotional attachments. It's just so good. And it's so, as Thomas said before, it's so silly, but you find yourself caring about these ridiculous sort of what should be caricatures in a way that I think is really unique. And it's just, absolutely fantastic um and also i wonder if i wonder if he might be a spurs fan as well because he's from that neck of the woods he's from so barnet it's extremely north london isn't it Stafford's mm, flats it's, it's green lane set, a lot of it yeah it's clearly set in north london and i actually panicked and went on jamie Demetrio's instagram thinking oh god i'm gonna find out that he's an arsenal fan but there's nothing about football on there so i would really hope he's not an arsenal fan and sorry to quickly burst the Cass is Dead dream um, before it even began, but I, I, for some reason there was something in the back of my mind that knew he was a Tottenham fan. He is a Newcastle fan, uh, which is quite weird, but he <laughs> being from Tottenham, but he is a Newcastle fan. Um, Billy knows too much. I feel like, Billy, are you, are you Cass is Dead? Like, what's going on? Why do you know all this stuff about someone that no one knows anything about? And also, stop, I, ruin, I, stop ruining it. <laughs> no, uh, yeah, I can't, I can't make any further comments on that. No. Listen, if Cass is Dead includes up the spur, a Paul Coit style up the Spurs in a track, we will then know that it's Billy. Yes, exactly. Um, my other recommendation quickly um, is almost a preview for a future episode of Hometown Glory. Um, we just recorded a special episode um, with Kelly from the band Wet, the New York band Wet, who... Um, is wonderful and her band released their third album a couple of weeks ago um which is really really stunning um as i said she came on with me last night to record a special episode she's a fledgling spurs fan um the album features production by two other huge spurs fans rob Ackroyd, who we love on this podcast and dev hines who of course we adore king dev um it's just a dazzling record um letter blue it's called of really warm alternative pop really soulful moments kelly's voice is unreal it's a sort of atmospheric listen you can really get lost in um like i said our episode with kelly and a surprise guest by the way um will be coming very soon and it's a really good one so i'm excited about that um and that wraps us up 
thank you very much, everyone. It's been a joy to be back in your company um, as a five piece once more. And yeah, fingers crossed for Leeds. Billy, see us home. Up the Spurs. The crowd goes wild. Okay, okay, okay. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus. Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 